Praise the Lord. Thanks, sir. And if I could have my first slide up, talking a lot about food this morning. Some of you may not have been in Glasgow long enough or in the UK long enough um, to remember this, but there's a, there, there's a documentary, a, a, a current affairs documentary called Panorama on the BBC. Listen to this, folks. Two years ago, they did a documentary on chicken breasts within the UK. And guess what? I'm not joking. 45% <laughs> of many of the chicken breasts sold were beef. Now, maybe like us, you don't eat red meat. We don't eat red meat. I don't like red meat. It's not good for you. It putrefies. You can't digest it. It goes rotten in your system. It's, it's, it's a bad thing to eat, red meat. So we would choose chicken breasts, thinking that we're avoiding beef. But we weren't. Because what they were doing, it was a Dutch firm. They supplied Sainsbury's, um, the, the education system, huge factory. And what they were doing, you've got to be careful what you eat. <laughs> we're on the book of Leviticus. There was a huge factory in Holland. And what they were doing is they were getting a normal chicken breast. And they put them in this massive machine. What they want to do is they want to sell you a pound's worth of you know, breast for two and a half pounds. So they want to pump it up with, with something. But the trouble they had was if they pump a chicken breast up with water, and you put it in the oven, all the water dissipates, and you'll never buy it again. They actually needed to put in it protein, animal protein, right? But they weren't allowed to use beef. It's against the law, because it says chicken. So they found a way. They get the small chicken breast, they put it in this massive big machine, like a washing machine, right? And then they get cow's bones, the offal, the carcass of cows, is everybody okay? You want to be sick? No? <laughs> you will by the end. <laughs> they get the carcass of cows. They, they spin the carcasses so violently that you cannot trace the DNA of the beef. And it is then legally classed as protein, not beef. And then when you pick up the chicken breast package in the shop, it says chicken breast plus protein. And you don't know that you're eating beef. God, you've got to be careful what you eat. In the same Panorama documentary, do you like pizza? <laughs> You're not going to. Do you like, do you like pepperoni, salami? I can't remember. Not anymore. He hasn't even heard it yet. Pepperoni, salami. I can't remember this statistic. Please forgive me, but I'm sure you can find it online or on the Panorama website. I think it was 62% of pepperoni was horse meat. Horse meat. God help us. Now, I say all that because we're on a very particular book in the Bible. It's a book when most people start to read their Bibles, they get through Genesis. They get through Exodus. <laughs> but they get to Leviticus chapter 2 and they close the book because they think, well, what on earth has all this got to do with me? This is of no relevance today. Folks, you couldn't be more wrong. You couldn't be more wrong. And a lot of the sicknesses, a lot of the diseases that come upon Christians and the world, but come upon us, are because we disregard these things. So, for example, this is a Chinese takeaway. It's beside our house. We've used it many times. <laughs> so, let's say you go to a restaurant, a Chinese restaurant or whatever here in Glasgow. 
You go in and the waiter comes around and there's a preset menu, if you like, and he comes up to you and he says, you know, hello, sir, madam, what can I, uh, what do you want for the starter? Do you, do you want the black pudding wrapped in bacon or do you want the prawn cocktail? Hands up who wants prawn cocktail. <laughs> okay, black pudding. You'd be surprised how many people don't know what black, what black pudding actually is. What is black pudding? Blood. It's blood. It's blood. It's the blood of cows and pigs that gets mixed <laughs> with rusks and barley and flavorings, and it's very tasty. It is. Well, I think it is anyway. But it's blood. We'll come to it in a moment. Okay, main course. You can have fresh crab caught in batter, but the chef's recommendation is sea cucumber. I'm not surprised they called it sea cucumber. It's a slug. You know, it's a sea slug. Who wants the fresh crab? Who likes crab? Oh, quite a few. Okay, who wants the cod? Who eats cod on a regular basis? Come on, hands up. Quite a few. <laughs> or do you want the sea cucumber? Okay. And for the dessert, sweet haddock. Do you know what, folks? Every single one of these foods is forbidden except the rice. Okay? Not to, I'll, I'll come to it in a moment. Let me put that differently. Every single one of these foods is dangerous. For a start, a, a, a prawn is a maggot. You know you see a rotten carcass. Sorry, UK. People starting to get sick here. <laughs> you know you see a rotten carcass on the earth. You know the maggots in it. Well, in the sea, when something dies, that's a prawn. Prawns are sea maggots. Okay? And black pudding is blood. And bacon is a pig. It's probably the worst type of meat that you could eat. I remember I worked with a person who had a stroke. And they were also mentally ill. And the doctor came to the house because they were confined to barracks sort of thing. And I remember giving us a long list of the things that this person was not allowed to eat. Top two things, salt and pork for a stroke. And I, I remember I was interested. I said, pork. They said, absolutely. Pork is a terrible mate. Very damaging. Now, particularly the Chinese community, because you guys love pork in a gazillion ways, right? Be careful. You'll see in a moment. You look at things like fresh crab. You look at cod. I used to live with a fisherman. And I'll never forget it because I never really understood why. He was a deep sea fisherman. And he said he would eat all sorts of fish. The only thing he drew the line at because it was too disgusting was cod. And I remember thinking, cod? All the fish and chip shops sell. He said, if you had to clean out a cod, you would not eat cod. Oh, I see full of worms and carcasses. They're bottom dwellers. Next slide, please. You see, as we'll see in a moment in the book of Leviticus, it talks about what's called bottom feeders. The, the types of animals that live on the bottom of the sea and they eat the things that die. Now, these things happen to be very tasty. When Henry and Sien uh, got married in Singapore, we had a, something like a 10 or 15 course meal. It was the biggest meal you've ever seen in your life. And we built all the way up to the pace de resistance, which was, Henry? <laughs> sea cucumber! <laughs> sea cucumber! Yeah, I remember it. So, <laughs> take, take a look at this. Shellfish. You see, these are bottom feeders. Crab, crayfish, starfish, sea cucumber, and other plants. And sea things, right? But then there's also the bottom feeding fish which, again, the names of which may surprise you because their everyday diet in Asda, in Tesco's, in Walmart, 
flatfish, halibut, flounder, place, sole, eels. I love eels. Eels are absolutely gorgeous, you know. <laughs> Haddock, bass, carp, snapper, shark, etc., etc. So it's kind of scary. Let's start. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. Take a look at this. Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. The Bible has an enormous amount to say about food from every perspective. Leviticus 17, 11. For the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. Now stop, folks. Don't just read it. Ask yourself, what does that mean? Look what it means. It means that blood, life is in the blood. Blood was put in animals for a reason. Because there was an Old Testament system. The only reason there's blood in animals, I gave it to you because it would act as a temporary atonement. You weren't supposed to eat it. Read on. Uh, verse 11. For the life of a creature is in its blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood, nor may an alien living among you. And I've given you copious notes here today, but if you turn to the side that's marked health facts that came from the Bible, health facts that came from the Bible. And I'll just work through these briefly. One, blood is number one if you look at that. Blood is the source of, of life and health, but it can also be a source of great dishealth and sickness, especially if we take in the blood of animals, which was never, as, I, as we've just seen, the reason it was given. But it's not just blood that's mentioned throughout the book of Leviticus. It, men it mentions sexual promiscuity, promiscuity and immorality. And as much as we are very conscious in our day, folks, of AIDS and syphilis or gonorrhea or goodness knows what, the various types of venereal disease and, and, and sexually transcribed diseases. I lived in a nurse's home for 10 years. I was lost at the time, and that was a very promiscuous place. And I remember watching my parents had raised me well, and I kind of stayed out of, of that scene mostly. But I remember one thing. Please listen. There was a lot of, you can imagine what a nurse's home was like. There was a lot of sexual activity. But it's not the diseases I remember. It's the mental damage. It's the mental damage. The psychological damage that was done, particularly to the women. So many women. The girls would come in and they would be there like in the hospital five, six years or something. I lived there ten years. And you would see them coming in stable, mentally, normal. And they may not pick up a disease and they may think, oh, got away with that. No, you didn't. Because the two shall become one, you see. And when you mix your blood, when you mix your blood through sex with another person, you've been warned. You start to mix your whole life with them. And it's the psychological damage. Our, our, our government do a fantastic job of warning us about sexually transmitted diseases. But they do not do a good job of talking about the mental conditions that people end up with who have multiple partners. You don't actually hear about that, and we should. So we won't go into that today. We'll deal with it another time. But it, it is high on the book of, in the book of Leviticus. Number three, God has given us the leaves of the, of the, of the trees as medicine. Now, I don't know how carefully you follow this. I try to follow this. I, I, I try to follow cutting edge of everything. 
economics, ecology, medicine, and everything else. You don't need to know everything. You just need to know a little bit about what's happening, okay? Just a little bit. And if you follow that, you'll see that some of the modern day discoveries that they have found, like flat leaf parsley, hello, amazing thing. And, and, and the goodness that that can do to your body. You don't need much of it, herbs and spices. It's taken them all this time just to discover tiny little things. We use, you know, quite a lot of fresh herbs, but I also use mixed herbs. And the reason I use mixed herbs is because I know that they don't know. I know they don't know. And I don't want to wait in 10 years' time and say, ha ha, now if you had had cumin, you wouldn't have had that sickness. So instead, I just put a little bit of, of, of mixed herbs so that I'm getting a balanced cross-section of the foods that God has given us. Not just Leviticus, Ezekiel and many other places. It says that the food is there, it's there for your medicine. It's there for healing for your body. Amen. Now there's nothing wrong with medicine. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Nothing wrong with that. Praise God for that. But I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, in the natural world, God has provided natural antidotes and it takes us a very long time to find them, but they are there. Yeah, uh, prostate cancer, you know, Jim's been fantastic. God has really moved in his life and, and, and taken that from him. But there's a website called TED. It's a very, I highly recommend it. Very good website. Covers the cutting edge of many different departments, economics, whatever, around the world, but also medicine. And on that, there was a doctor there who's done years of research. And was it one in four men or something get prostate cancer? Well, guys, you need to get a solution. One in four men. How many men we got here? One in four. So we need to get smart and start to look, God, what did you give us? And this doctor took like gazillions of men over a protracted period. And he discovered that he, if, he, if he gave men three portions of cooked tomatoes three times a week, they were 45% less likely to get prostate cancer. Just a little thing like a cooked tomato. You're all going to buy tomatoes now, aren't you? <laughs> Amen. A little thing like tomato. So understand this book gives you many, many details, not just here, but throughout the Old Testament, many details about health, about life, about food. It is to our peril if we ignore them. So the third one, God has given the leaves. Fourth one. There's healthy dietary laws. In fact, I'll turn to that, if you will. That's Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 9. Look at this. Leviticus 11, 9. Leviticus 11, 9. Of all the creatures living in the water of the seas and the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales. But all the creatures in the streams or, 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 or seas or streams that do not have fins and scales, whether among the swarming things or among uh, all the other living creatures in the water, you are to detest them. And since you are to detest them, you must not eat their meat. And you must detest their carcasses, which is what the sea creatures live on. Anything living in the water that does not have fins and scales is to be detestable to you. And then he goes on to birds of prey. There are birds that you are to detest also and not eat that, but the eagle, the vulture, it talks about birds of prey. You see? And around the world, delicacies, you know, restaurants spring up with this delicacy and that delicacy, and you don't know what you're eating. You're eating things that will, in my opinion, make you sick if you're not careful. Okay? That's number four and number five. 
Number five, it warns against eating birds of prey. Number six, avoid eating pigs. <laughs> Swine meat of, of all sorts doesn't mean it's not. I like bacon. I think bacon's lovely, right? But you need to avoid bacon. I don't think we should eat it. I think it's bad for us, okay? It's permissible, but it's not beneficial. The different thing. Number seven, circumcision. I think we'll skip that one, guys. Shall we just keep moving? <laughs> Number eight, medical quarantine. The Bible recommends it before we ever knew anything about it. And number 10, in fact, let's look at number 10. Leviticus chapter 7. And verse 23, Leviticus chapter 7 and verse 23, say to, uh, it's fat, it's the warning against eating fat. Say to the Israelites, do not eat any of the fat of cattle, sheep or goats. The fat of the animal found dead or torn by wild animals may, may, be, used for other, uh, may, may be used for any other purpose, but you're not to eat it. Next slide, please. Take a look at this. This is gross. <coughs> Who knows what that is? Liposuction. This is me here, a few years ago. <laughs> liposuction, what they do is they, 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 they put a Hoover-type instrument inside the, the, the little envelope that's beneath your skin, and they suck out all the fat, and there's the fat... Oh, God, it's awful, isn't it? There's the fat being collected in, in the big jars. It's absolutely chronic. But this is the day in which we live. Fat grows up around your organs and chokes them and stops your body functioning. Now, when I was a kid, praise God, my mother, without anybody ever telling her, used to take all the fat away. Once again, fat, if prepared properly, can be a tasty thing. Amen. But it can kill you because it will clog up your heart. Your dad died very young, very young man, clogged arteries on his heart. And it's like so many things in the Christian life. So many things are like this. You think you're getting away with it. And you're not. So many things, they build up, they build up, they build up, they build up, and then sickness overtakes us, and we just can't figure out why. Well, part of the reason is disrespect for the Old Testament. Uh, not taking the time to study these things, to look at them in any detail. Take this home with you. You can read it. They, I've, I've just photocopied on there some rainbow food colors and the different types of food that are good for different things. Um, it's funny how God has made them so appealing, the red foods and the yellow foods, and they all have different types of benefits. This is more than we can cover in, in one day. I just want to bring it by way this morning of introduction. But in the last week in July, I believe it is, in the first week in August, Joe is going to bring some detailed information on how to construct a good, healthy diet. Okay? Because I think it's, it's mightily important, the days in which we live. So... Someone now will turn to me at the end of this meeting and say, you're wrong. Okay? Guarantee you. You're wrong because Paul says that all things are permissible. Don't you know that Peter, when he was up on the roof that day, when Peter was hungry, he had a vision? Turn to it, please. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And verse 9. Acts chapter 10 and verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on the journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the roof to pray. He became hungry. Isn't that funny how you start to pray, you get hungry? Huh? <laughs> he became hungry and wanted to eat something. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet let down to earth. 
by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals. He must have been hungry. Amen. As well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. The, the voice told him, get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten any impure or unclean. The voice came to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back again. And if I can ask you as well to turn to Acts chapter 15, because this will give you the New Testament's version of our diet. Acts chapter 15 and verse 20. Acts chapter 15 and verse 20. Great scripture. This is after the one we just read where Peter has had his vision. This is subsequent to it. That's an important point. Okay? This is later on. This is Paul talking this time. Instead, we should write to them and tell them to abstain. This is New Testament. This is talking to you. Right? So we should tell each other. Remind ourselves to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat of strangled animals, and from blood. And if I can conclude it, I know I'm giving you a lot of scriptures. This is nearly the last one. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23. And this is where we get messed up on what we eat and what we don't eat, what we should eat and what we shouldn't eat. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23. Food was a big issue in the Bible, huh? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23. Everything is permissible, but, see that? But not everything is beneficial. So, uh, 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 but not everything is constructive. So, could I have my next slide, please? Take a look at this. If you wanted to sum it up in a nutshell, what does the Bible tell me about pork, for example? Okay, well, to sum it up, I would say in the Old Testament, particularly if you take the book of Leviticus, it's, it, it divides things into three categories. There are holy things, there are common things, and there are unclean things. And this goes for every department in life. You could have a holy occupation. You could be a priest. It's the book of Leviticus. Okay, that's a holy thing. You could have a common occupation. You could be a house painter. That's not particularly holy. You could make it holy by sanctifying it. We'll come to that in a moment. But it isn't naturally a holy thing. It's a common thing. But then there are things that are unclean. You could go and get a job in a nightclub. Uh -uh. No, you don't. That's unclean. That's not good. You shouldn't be there. Wrong job. You understand? So in the Old Testament, these are the three big categories that we can see, and they're easy to understand. In the New Testament, what changes? Well, not a lot. It looks as if it changes, but no, not a lot really changes. There are many things that are permissible. Many things that are no longer apply to us with regards to the diet that you eat. We're not under Judaic law. We're not under the law of Moses. No problem. You're free. Okay? But that doesn't mean, just because it's permissible, it doesn't mean it's beneficial. If you eat blood, God's not going to throw you out. Okay? If you eat black pudding, otherwise there'd be a lot of people in trouble, right? If you eat pork, and th I mean, you're not going to get cut off. All right? So it, it, things are permissible, and that's what Peter was seeing. It wasn't, God wasn't talking to Peter about his diet. He was talking to, P to Peter about a relationship of grace and favor with God, apart from works. It wasn't to do with the animals. 
So don't get tied up with the diet in that vision. That's the mistake. And, and Paul really spells it out for me in a nutshell. There are many types of food and you can get cocky and stupid and you can say, well, I can eat whatever I want. Pretty much correct, except blood, of course. Blood is still forbidden. You just read it in the New Testament. Okay, so there are still things that are forbidden for us as believers because life is in the blood. It was nothing to do with food. It was something given onto the Old Testament as a means of temporary atonement. So I hope that's clear. I know it's a lot to take, but discuss it in your cell groups. The book of Leviticus deals with you. It talks to you, body, soul, and spirit. It talks to the whole you. You are tripartite, three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And God starts in that book to talk to you about your diet, to try and get you to get a sensible diet, warning even in these days, warning about things to do with health. Amen. It's just fantastic. And we're still trying to catch up. And, you know, we do not understand. The modern man does not understand. Folks, you know tonight when Donya teaches, for heaven's sake, will you get with it and get in here? You need to learn how to defend Christianity. Amen. Amen. So that when you go to work and they start challenging you, you believe the earth is, how can you believe the earth is so many thousands? The earth is millions of years old. You need to be educated on that. I don't know about you, but as I say, every time I see or hear things to do with, with scientific revelations or anything, I see God in it. I can see God in it. See the Bible in it. You know, the, one of the latest theories to come out in, in quantum physics is this thing called string theory. Have you heard of that? Yeah? String theory. Now, it's incredibly complicated, but to, to, to sum it up very, very briefly, in a vacuum, if I speak in a vacuum, you can't hear me. If you scream in a vacuum, you can't be heard because you need air to carry sound, right? Now, string theory observes that and says, ha-ha, all things that exist, all material things that exist, they exist along sound waves, okay? And it's like a vibration, a bit like a guitar string. All things exist along sound waves, and they're on like a string, a bit like a DNA helix, but they're on a string, boing, boing. Existing things can only exist in sound. Now, you see, you can hear something like that and disregard it, but don't, because I often think they're on the right track. Do you know what I... Praise the Lord, maybe we're the first people ever to think about this. But what came to me when I heard that was, they're right. All things do exist by sound. The Word of God. Genesis chapter 1, there was nothing. And God spoke sound. You're right, scientists. All things do exist. But, and it says, where is it? Ephesians. And they are sustained by the power of His Word. You see? And I believe, as I've shared with you many times before, I believe science will constantly score own goals against themselves over and over and over. The world in which we live has changed dramatically. And your children, they want to know about evolution. And you, deserve, you should give them an answer. But that's going to require you to study. So get back here tonight, 6.30, and at least we'll deal with one issue and other issues in the weeks to come. So the book of Leviticus tries to help you to deal with your body by talking about health issues and food, particularly you are what you eat. You know, that's literally true. You are. Your body is made up of what you eat, right? You can see what I had for breakfast there. You, you actually are what you eat. 
with your body, with your soul, with your emotional life. That was the sexual part. Okay, not just that, but that's, it's, it's a warning part. With your body, your soul, and your spirit. Other side of your notes, please. Other side of your notes, and if I could have my next slide, please. Now, we've looked at this before. In fact, we spent about 12 weeks. We did a series, most of you, nearly all of you weren't here. It was a series called The Priesthood of All Believers. We did it about five years ago, where we looked at this in, in great detail. But this is where it comes from. In the Bible, you've got Hebrews in the New Testament, and you've got Leviticus in the Old. These are, you know, twin sisters here, side by side. They both represent the same thing. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, please. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2. That's the body part. That's the, the outer part where the book of Leviticus warns us about what we eat. But it moves on dealing with you also in your soul and your spirit. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Wow. You are a holy people. Sorry, you, you are a chosen people. That's one thing. A royal priesthood. It's another thing. A holy nation. Now, this is the New Testament. The, the, the book of Leviticus is called that because of the Levites, the tribe of Levi, who were the priests, right? And uh, I'll, get, I'll just come back to that in a moment. So, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 describes who you are. And it gives you your identity. And I am... Utterly convinced that the likes of, well, in the, in, the, in the book of James, it says Elijah was a man just like you. And I'm absolutely convinced that Elijah is nobody special. And I'm sorry for saying it, no insult to Moses. I don't think Moses is anybody special. Sorry, I don't. He's a friend of God. I know that. We dealt with that last week. But I think Moses is a man just like you, Ben. Okay? Just like you. He's no different. The, if there is a difference, it's this. He knows who he is. He came, I mean, Moses had a speech impediment, right? And God calls him to go against Pharaoh. It doesn't say what his speech impediment was. You know, I, I, I had a speech impediment. Can you imagine going into Pharaoh? I don't know whether he had a stammer, a stutter, or a stoppage. There's three different things. A stammer is when you, you know, stir, 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 stir. A stoppage is when you go, stoppage. It just stops, right? And a stutter is, stir, 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 stir. Can you imagine Moses going into Pharaoh? La, 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 let my pe 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 people go. <laughs> Can you imagine how ridiculous and how stupid that seems or sounds? And yet God chose Moses and sent him into the most powerful, and I'm not mocking people with stutters because I had a stutter for nearly 20 years, right? Very embarrassing thing. And if anybody can make fun, I can, right? And don't make fun of people when they do have it because it's a very embarrassing thing. Look, imagine sending Moses. For heaven's sake, God, send Aaron. <laughs> at least he can say something. What are you thinking about? But God wanted you know, him and you to know something. You're a royal priest. You're a king on the earth. I want you to see my identity. Do you know what, folks? Listen to me. Please look up. If you do not consider yourself a king, you're a hypocrite. If you do not think of yourself as a priest, you're a hypocrite. If you do not think of yourself as a saint, then you're a hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who, who acts like they're not. Well, guess what? God calls you a saint. 
He calls you righteous. He calls you holy. If you act or think like a sinner, what are you? A hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. You're acting in a way that God says you're not. Now, look, look what he just said. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. And the only difference with Elijah, the only difference with, with Moses or any of them, was that at some point they accepted that. At some point, they knew it was a righteousness by faith, looking forward. They knew it was a righteousness apart from their own. They understood it, they accepted it, and it completely transformed them. I don't know about you, but the first question I ask myself when I see something like this, that God speaks to me and he says that I'm a king, a, a, a priest on the earth. What's that about God? I don't feel like a king. I don't feel. Could you put the other slide up, please? Could we go back to the one that we had? They, um, it's marked from ritual to relationship. I don't feel like a king. I don't feel like a priest, but I've got to believe what God says of me. Amen. I've got to believe what is written. And in the book of Leviticus, he's basically taking us out of the ritual, even prophetically, and into that relationship. Now, you might say, like I say, why me? Why me? Why did God save you and not your brother? Why did God save? Why are you sitting here? That's, I, I, I spent years in, in pubs and nightclubs in Cardiff. And I remember when I first got saved and went into the church, one of the first things that crossed my mind is, my God, I passed this door a million times. And I had no idea you guys were in here. You know, I walked past that church Day out, I lived beside it. I had no comprehension that they were even there or anything about the kingdom. And then I found myself in it. But I asked myself, why me, God? Why did you save me? Why did you save me and not my neighbor? Me and not my fellow student? Me and not my colleague? Could I have the list of names up, please, there? Well, one of the answers to that, it's not the only answer, is... You weren't, the first, you weren't the first. Don't want to upset you or anything, but you weren't the first. This whole priesthood thing is very current. It should be alive and kicking in your life. If it isn't, it's missing. You are a royal priesthood. That's who you are, and you need to get that identity. God wanted Adam to be a priest unto God on the earth, someone who would minister unto God on the earth, but he messed it up, right? So we had the fall. He then re-entered and tried again with Israel. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now he wants Israel. The whole nation became priests unto God. But what did they do? They messed it up. So God said to the nation of Israel, I will take one tribe, the book of Leviticus. I will take one tribe, the Levites, and they alone will be the priests unto God. They alone will worship, minister. They will lead all that. They'll be set apart. And what did they do? They messed it up. And then what we have in Jesus Christ is the whole thing is abolished. The Old Testament system is abolished. And we have Jesus come to earth, become the great high priest. And everything starts again, except now you who get saved become a priest unto God. And that's what Peter is pointing out. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, he's trying to explain that point. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. It failed with Adam. It failed with Israel. It failed with the Levites. But God still wants priests. God still wants Levites, if you like. 
Now, holy people are people belonging to God. So that's why it's you, because he will not be thwarted. God will have his way on this in the end. As we've seen repeatedly as we look at those things, in fact, could I have from ritual to relationship up, please? Everything in the Old Testament has a New Testament counterpart. It's called typology. That's what the study of these things is called. So when you look at the, as we'll do in just a moment, when you look at the tabernacle, the tabernacle is actually a picture of heaven. It's amazing. Everyone, have you ever wondered what heaven is like? Well, God said he would give you a replica on earth. It was called the tabernacle. So we have some idea, a little glimpse into heaven. And the tabernacle began with a brazen altar. Now you can sit there, folks, and you can say that's got nothing to do with me. You're wrong. It's there for you to see something, okay? The modern counterpart for you today is that you need to know that you should be a living sacrifice, not a dead one. Many people, many people don't want the responsibilities of life, you know. They just don't want their, so they'd rather just die for Christ. Talk about martyrdom all day, you know. Rather just die for Christ. Well, I'm afraid we have to, we have to live for Christ. That's what Paul points out in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. That we are now to become living sacrifices, a much more difficult thing. There was the laver when you entered in, which is representative of the Holy Spirit. There was the menorah bringing light, which is evangelism. There was communion. And how beautiful is that? In, in, in the tabernacle itself, there was the showbread, which is again a foreshadow of communion that was to come. There was the incense, which is praise. And of course, in the Holy of Holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant, which is representative of God dwelling in you. You are a priest. But my fear is that you don't know it. And that makes you a hypocrite. It makes you someone behaving like that, that a person you're not. You know Sunday at Elijah? Anybody know Pastor Sunday? Pastor Sunday's black. He moved from Africa to the Ukraine, to Kiev. I think it was about 30 years ago. There were no Africans there, none. He was the only one. And he used to walk down the street and everybody was white. And they would make fun of him. Point at him. Say, oh, look. For many of them, it's the first black guy they've ever seen. But I tell you what, I have never in my life met anyone who knows he's a king as much as that man. Oh, goodness me. He knows he's a king. And he told his story. He said he, he used to walk through the streets of Kiev. As people would be shouting insults and all sorts of things, he learned Russian. And as he walked, he said, I didn't care because this is my city. I didn't care because I'm in charge. Why should I bother? I'm going to tell the government what to do in my city. Now, this is, he's got 30,000 members today, by the way, Russians, you see? And he said, the day came when I walked through the streets and they no longer laugh. That's him, that's the guy. And these are in days, of course, when there were no churches like that in Russia. Knew his authority, understood, accepted it. And if you don't accept it, you can't live it out. He was able to be who he is. You are a priest. And the sad reality is most Christians don't even understand what we'll come to it in a moment. What that means. What does that mean? What, is that, what am I supposed to do? Could I have the tabernacle up, please? So God said this is a replica. This is an image of heaven. As I say, if you want to know what heaven looks like, <laughs> or at least the throne room, God says this is a replica of the real thing. 
so you can get a little bit of a foreshadow, a little bit of a foretaste. And everything that happens here should have happened to you already, really. And if it hasn't, it's because you haven't been brought to Christ correctly. You should have passed through these three phases. The outer court, the holy place, the holy of holies, body, soul, spirit. It's Leviticus. It's dealing with you as a whole person. What happens in the outer court? Well, it's the brazen altar. It's the point of your life when you get saved. Now, we dealt with this a couple of weeks ago. Excuse me for just going back over it again because 70% of the people here probably don't know this. You need to know it. Do you know, the priest would bring the sacrifice and he would put the carcass, the fat of an animal, on that altar. Listen, folks, please listen carefully. If, and only if, when he put his carcass there and he stood, remember, this whole thing is surrounded by the nation of Israel in tents. This is a big tent. They're all around this. If God accepted the sacrifice as the nation stood and watched, what would happen? Fire would fall from the sky and set the thing alight. Can you imagine? No wonder they got so condemned by Jesus when he came. He said, if, the, if half the miracles that were performed in you were performed here, they would have repented because they had seen the most awesome things. Fire fell out of the sky and lit the sacrifice if, if it was acceptable to God. And I mention that because this is symbolic of salvation. That's what it's about. This is about you getting saved. And there are too many bad births. Remember a bad birth? Nobody ever told me that, chapter one. <laughs> a bad birth leads to a bad life. Birth affects life. Birth defects affect bad Christian living. And if you're not brought, in to, to, brought to the Lord correctly, if the person who brought you to Christ didn't get you to lay your life down, then you're, you're disabled for the rest of your life. Unable to, you don't know what's wrong. But you see, the, the point of this, this is telling you something. When I accept that you have repented, you'll know it. Boom. When I accept that you have properly, fully repented and turned to me, you're going to know about it. Your whole family are going to know about it. Everybody's going to know about it. Amen. That that's was salvation. So don't dismiss these things. They have a New Testament counterpart. What is it? Pentecost. Pentecost, where they had turned to Christ. The body, the outer court. What happens next? The, the, the holy place, there's your candlestick, your golden altar, your table of showbread. There were two miracles in the tabernacle. And both these miracles should have happened to you. Okay? When you got saved, it should have been something that you knew about. Then you enter into the holy place. There's a veil here. You can't see it in this diagram. But the holy place and the holy of holies were divided by a veil that was four inches thick. There was no door in it. There was no way through. If you imagine this was a solid veil, it was solid. You couldn't get through. And what the priest would do is he would bring the laver, a sacrifice of praise. And he would walk up once a year and offer praise at the altar of incense up unto God. And what would happen is his physical body would pass through the veil. As it says in the book of Hebrews, you know, that the, that's why the veil was ripped in two. So there was two miracles in this tabernacle. The first was the fire fell. But the second one, equally important, that the priest would pass into the presence of God, right? And for us, that's baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's when we get filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what that is symbolic of. So these two things, repent, believe, 
be baptized and receive. And it's, it's, it's those two that this particularly represents. Okay? The, the full salvation, proper salvation, and then being baptized in fire. That's the first one. From ritual to relationship. God deals with you body, soul, and spirit. Okay? Could I have that first slide up, please? Just one last time. From ritual to relationship. See, folks, you know what all this has got to do with you? Do you know what I would ask yourself if I was you? Are these things active in my life? Am I a living sacrifice? Am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Am I involved in evangelism? Do I understand and partake in communion? Because it's obviously important. It's all over the place. Am I involved in praise? And does God dwell in me? That's what it means. That's what it means to be a priest. If you are to be a priest properly and fully, you need to understand what a priest does. Okay? This is what the priest does. This is the priest's life. This is what God is looking for from this nation he has created. I have the second slide then, sacrifices and offerings. Thank you. The same thing happens. Two things you need to know as a priest. What is the tabernacle all about? And also understand the sacrificial system and the offering system. In, in the book of Malachi, I won't turn to it, but it says this. They, they said to God, how shall a man draw near to you? How can I come close to you? And God gives a great answer. And he says, with <laughs> sacrifices and offerings. And Paul picks this same theme up in the New Testament. And he goes back over it. I won't read it because it's on your notes. You can read it at home. But Paul goes back over the fact that there are now other sacrifices that we must make. There are offerings that we must bring. My point is this, folks. What's your plan for drawing near to God? The Bible gives us one. This is it. <laughs> the Bible's already given us how we draw near to God. We draw near to God in it's exactly the same way, with sacrifices and offerings unto him. The offering of your life, doing good, Isabel, looking after the elderly, right? Praise and worship, the, the worship team, giving your time, giving your Saturday, making sure that that is lifted before God. All those offerings, they're not irrelevant. You need to understand them and just see that it was a foreshadow. Now we have the reality. For all of these things, once again, look at the list and ask yourself, are these things, am I being a priest? Are these things active? Are they conscious in my life? Because they need to be. So what does the book of Leviticus deals with, deal with? It deals with you, body, soul, and spirit. It tells you about your diet, and then it takes you through the outer court, where you lay your life as a living sacrifice, where you become filled with the Holy Spirit. But God's not finished. And the ultimate goal is that last third point, that he wants to create in you something fantastic, and that's the heart of a priest. He's looking indeed for a royal priesthood, a priesthood that's like him. Is it okay if God wants, if Jesus wants you to be like him, Christ-like? Because there's, uh, can I my last slide, please? Out there in the world, folks, there's a thousand types of church. You know, Presbyterians, Methodists, goodness knows what. You've got a thousand versions of Christianity. But there's only one version that I need to get clear. And there's only one type of priest that I need to be. And that's one that is like the high priest. I need to follow his instruction and I need to be conformed to his 
likeness, not anything else. Last couple of scriptures, very important ones though. Turn to Hebrews, please. Hebrews is the New Testament counterpart. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. It talks about Jesus Christ and how he, becoming human, was humbled and made like us in every way. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers, that's us, in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement, it was his blood now, for the sins of the people, that's us. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You know, folks, see verse 18? Don't read it and just walk on. Look at it. Because he himself, what? What's the word that God uses to describe people who get tempted? What's the word God uses for people stuck in that? or falling into temptation, suffered. They're suffering. And see, he, Jesus as a priest, he does not condemn them. He sees them as those who are suffering and he has compassion. Look at Hebrews chapter four. This is beautiful. Hebrews chapter four and verse 15. Look at this. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our, that's your, with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive help in a time of need. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices. For sins, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. See this, folks, please pay tip-top attention because this is the heart of the priest. This is the heart of the king. It's a servant heart. It's a beautiful heart. It's a wonderful heart. And that's God's goal. He deals with your body. He makes you healthy. He fix up your soul and baptize you in the Spirit. But ultimately, He wants your heart. And He wants your heart to be like His heart, which is gentle, understanding, and considerate. I told you the last time we were down on the streets as a group, there was a crowd of us on the steps. And it was a strange happening. This, this girl came up to me with a man. And she brought him up to me, and I, I said, hello, and they weren't talking, and they... The, the guy looked at me and he said, I'm a homosexual. I'm going to hell, right? I, oh, that's nice and blunt. Just, you know, get it out there, you know. I'm a homosexual. I'm going to hell. And I stopped and I looked at him. And I thank God for giving me pause and giving me self-control. Because I turned to him. I stood with that guy going to hell. A gay man. And he said, I'm gay. I'm going to hell, right? And I said to him, sir, first of all, I apologize. I apologize to you for the way that you must think. You must think God hates you. You must think I hate you. And you know what that did to him? He lowered all his defenses. If I make an enemy out of the person I'm trying to reach, I'm a fool. I'm a fool. 
If I make an, I'll repeat it, if I make an enemy with the people I'm trying to reach, I'm a fool. So I apologized for the way the gay community has been treated, because I think we make a right mess of it. And I said to him, do you know what? When I was lost, I used to drink like a fish, man. That was my problem. And do you know what? Do you know what I had to give up to get saved? Alcohol. I, there was something in my life that had to go. I had to get rid of it. I had to turn from it and repent. And you know what it is with you, sir? God loves you just like he loves me, but there's something in your life too. I'm no different from you. Different sin, same God. And I, I thank God, you know, as that man walked away, the last words, the, I didn't know, but the girl with him was born again. I didn't know that until the end. His last words as he walked away, smiling, he looked back at me, and do you know what he said? He said this, if I thought that I too could be saved by leaving everything that was wrong, do you know what? I think I would do it. And off he went. Hallelujah. And I shared, I mean, gay's a good example. The gay community is, a, is because I, I think we're really losing them. And they're getting a, an ever-increasing part of our society. I told you, I, I, I follow a lot of the Irish radio programs. And there was a phone-in one day with, with a very good guy. He's a great-hearted um, radio host, talk show host. And he had two people. He had one gay guy on ringing in about his homosexual lifestyle. And on the other line, from the States, sorry, Brandy, but from the States, he had this so-called evangelist trying to lead him to Christ. Well, that woman started to talk. And I have never in my life heard such hatred from the Christian. You're scum. People like you. Gay people, you're ruining the earth. You and your whole filthy. And out came from her. And as I, I was, I just thought one thing. Do you know what? Jesus Christ, you would never speak to another human being like that. Not my God. He is a gentle priest who has been tempted in every way, just like you. And now he is able to sympathize, sympathize with those who have fallen into sin and gently bring them out, not whack them and drive them from Christ, but show them that there is a good God who brought himself down to human level, walked among us and empathizes and sympathizes with us. That's what this is about. Look at the things he uses. He calls himself patient as a priest in his heart, calls himself compassionate. The greatest evangelist who's ever lived, what's his name? Reinhard Bonnke, led more people to Christ than anyone else in history. I think we need to listen to what he has to say. What does he say? He says there's one problem with the, the church, and it's this word here. They don't have compassion. You see the woman on the phone, do you know what her problem was? She thought she was better than the gay guy. That's your problem. And I remember that. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Ah, oh, you think you're better. You think you're a better person. Don't you know that you have no righteousness? Don't you know that the only righteousness you have is what Christ, and if he took that off you, you would have nothing, nothing. So he enters humanity, humbles himself, 
shares in the temptations of the human race, and then is able to sympathize. But if the day comes when you forget, friend, that you have no righteousness, do you know what you become? Not compassionate, condemning. Like she was on that phone. You become condemning. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a clanging symbol. That's what it is, a clanging symbol. And it's not the real Christ. It's not the real priest, the high priest. It's not the real king. This is the real king. This is him. This is who you must reflect. Amen? We need to look back. And I thank God. I think it's, it's, it's a good thing that we go back through the Bible. Very good thing. And remind ourselves of some of these things. Such treasures hidden in Leviticus. I could stop eating something and I could live another 10 years, 20 years, just because I excluded pork or blood or whatever, or just because I added herbs, some, something silly like that, and it could you know, take a disease away. Fantastic. Let me invite the worship team back. Just stay seated one moment. I think God is moving in this place. Lord, let us begin this morning by looking down on no one. We humble ourselves before you and we acknowledge that we have no righteousness of our own. Do you agree with me, folks? We have no righteousness of our own, but we have a Savior in Jesus Christ. We have a great high priest. And God, I, I beg you and I ask of you that as a church, that that's what we would exemplify, that that's what we would be, Hallelujah. Rid us of all judgment, wrath and anger. Rid us of all wrong feelings, wrong attitudes. And let us take these things completely to heart. And this day, God, I ask every person to be given wisdom for their diet. And we'll heed your warnings on the food we eat. That we will learn about the Old Testament rituals and what they mean for my relationship with you today. And you'll take us into that holy, holy place to be with you. Let's stand and worship our great high priest. <laughs>